0: Broadcasting from the podcast.com you're listening to Beyond the Movement with your host, Heidi Miller.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining Beyond the Movement, the Pilates Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Miller. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with Sherry Betts. She is a physical therapist and also Pilates teacher. She developed some DVDs, and one in particular that I was really interested in is Pilates exercises for osteoporosis. I think this is a really important topic Because we don't always, in our training, do we get real in-depth information on different special populations, and especially osteoporosis. And some of the statistics that she talks about is actually quite scary on how many clients in your studio, in your classes, could potentially have osteoporosis. And so in this interview, we talk about different contraindications uh, in the Pilates exercises, as well as risk factors and ways to prevent osteoporosis. So here we are. Okay, so thank you Sherry for joining me on today's show. How are you doing today? Great. Good. And Sherry, let's start with, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and secondly, what, how did you become interested in Pilates? Well,
2: first
0: and foremost, I'm a physical therapist, and I was trained and graduated in 1991 from Louisiana State University Medical Center. And I was a competitive gymnast in my young years and um, had some injuries and was interested in trying to rehabilitate from those injuries, which was actually unsuccessful. And uh, interestingly, my my best friend wanted to be a physical therapist, and she ended up becoming a ballerina and uh, has her own dance studio and all of that. And then uh, I got interested in physical therapy when I worked for Nautilus Fitness Centers in Denver, Colorado. And I um, was next door to a physical therapy clinic, and the physical therapists there were so helpful in post-rehabilitation programs for his former patients who he would bring over and tell us all about their conditions. And then we would take over and design an exercise program for them within his guidelines. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I really enjoyed his uh, information and and, um, absolutely made a beeline for physical therapy school at that point. And uh, later on in New York, I ran across Pilates. I did a session at Anthony Ribera's studio in Princeton, New Jersey, who trained with Romana Krasnowska, a very classical teacher, and really enjoyed it, but didn't really think that it would be that great for rehabilitation until I did a session with... Brent Anderson and Elizabeth Larkin up in San Francisco. And that's when I said, okay, this would be fantastic for, for uh, physical therapy patients and rehabilitation. And so I pursued a training program with Polestar Education and eventually became a teacher of the Polestar work.
1: Wonderful. Well, you know, the reason why I have you on the show today is is to talk about... Um, osteoporosis, osteopenia, and Pilates. So the first thing is, can you um, define osteoporosis for us?
0: Yeah, uh, the World Health Organization um, coined the term osteoporosis and actually made the definition in 1994. So it's really a relatively new disease. Uh, We all thought it was just a part of aging, and um, it was discovered by the World Health Organization that it was actually an epidemic and uh, that was pretty recently uh, it's, it's a systemic skeletal disease and we see it in any, any age group any uh, uh, sex uh, it goes across all races um, it certainly um, is characterized by micro deterioration of bone tissue and subsequently makes the bones more susceptible to fracture
1: and then can you also describe or define osteopenia for me, too?
0: Well, osteopenia is the precursor to osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. And basically, the warning signs that you are uh, approaching fragility of your skeleton. And um, we think of osteoporosis and osteopenia very similarly, but it's basically the percentage of bone loss. And if you could think of it in these terms, um, it's about 10% to about 20% bone loss, usually is osteopenia. Mm-hmm. Any more than 20 percent bone loss, you start going into the osteoporotic range. Okay. Actually, it's defined by the T-score, which is used on the bone densitometry apparatus
1: mm-hmm.
0: that tests your bone density, and they give you a T-score and a Z-score. So the T-score is used uh, to compare you to a person in their peak bone mass age range, which is about 25 to 35, And they extrapolate for your age and weight and height and body type and then give you a score. And that's what the World Health Organization uses to determine whether or not you have osteoporosis. Okay. Great. So get a Z V-score which gives you your
1: comparison to someone your age range. Okay. So then what are some of the contraindicated movements in the Pilates method or just movements in general for the spine that are contraindicated for people with osteoporosis?
0: Well, since osteoporosis is a, a systemic skeletal disease, we have to imagine that all the bones are fragile.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: the, most, the bones that are most vulnerable to fracture are going to be the bones in, of the spine called the vertebral bodies, uh, the cylinder-shaped bones uh, that stack up in the, vertebral, uh, or in the verte- vertebral column. And then the neck of the femur, which is the, the part of the femur that makes a bend into the hip, um, that's mo- more fragile. And susceptible to fracture and also the ends of the wrists, so the radius and ulna are also susceptible to fracture so we have to know how to protect those bones first and foremost as Pilates teachers mm-hmm. and we may be giving movements that are contraindicated for those bone t- tissues so in the spine the main movements that are um, predictive of fracture risk are going to be your flexion movements or your curling movements, your roll-ups, your hundred position, the rollover position, any movements that round the spine are going to give you more risk for fracture in the spine. Also movements that combine rotation, flexion, and side bending such as the saw or the Mm -hmm. spine twist um, can cause fracture as well. And then um, in the hip joint we consider doing strong rotations of the hip to be predictive of fracture. So if someone were to stand and plant their foot and then twist on one leg, um, that often causes fractures. Uh, we've heard of fractures um, that people reported where they felt their hip break and then they fell. Mm-hmm. And in their kitchen, you know, turning to go in another direction or planting the foot and turning, um, people can um, fracture that way. Um, we don't always know if that's true or not. It's usually, you know, hearsay because you're not there when that actually happens. Uh, but we know that rotational force is through the hip. Now we don't have a lot of those in Pilates. Um, the places that I can think of them are like in climb a tree when you do the finish position and cross your leg over and bend forward and do the hip stretch after climb a tree
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, is one place and, um, you know, doing some rotational hip stretch, um, as in the yoga pose, of the pigeon. Okay. So a lot of people like that stretch and do it on the ladder barrel with the ballet stretch series.
1: Okay, yes. So
0: that, that would, those two positions would be contraindicated for osteoporosis. Also very strong adductor contractions like um, horseback on the barrel
2: mm-hmm.
0: would be uh, risky for hips because of the strong force going through the hip joint Um, So that one would be a little more risky for osteoporosis as well. Now, the wrist, people think, oh, well, we can't weight bear on the wrist. We shouldn't be weight-bearing on the wrist. But um, the wrist actually would do well with weight-bearing. And we don't know of any wrist fractures that happen with weight-bearing. The wrist fractures when we fall. So uh, the best exercises to help the wrist are basically balance work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Balance work on one leg and preventing fractures or preventing falls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's really the best thing you can do for the wrist. And then keep the wrists aligned during exercises. But there really aren't any contraindicated Pilates exercises um, on the wrist.
1: Okay. and then, then as Jump into position, you know, and <laughs> land on right, your hand, on Right, your right. I don't know if No, I can't think of any either. Um, and then also uh, for somebody who comes into your studio who says they have osteopenia, would you treat them the same as you would with someone who has osteoporosis? Now, that's a million-dollar question. (laughs) Yeah.
2: um,
1: I do, actually, in my studio, and Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why.
0: So if somebody comes in and says they have osteopenia, I first look at their height to see if they've lost any height, any body height.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I ask them, how tall are they? And they usually write that down on a little piece of paper, you know, in in their intake form. And then I go and measure them. And oftentimes I'll find that that person is actually an inch or two shorter than they say they are. Okay. And we talk about that and I say have you noticed that your pants are longer or have you noticed any changes in your height has your family noticed? And um they may say yes and they may say no, but then I know that there could have been some fracture because if there's more than 1 inch of height loss, that is uh highly indicative of uh compression fractures. So, and we also know that most compression fractures are silent. People don't really even know that they have a fracture. Sure. And suddenly they're three inches shorter or two inches shorter or they have a big rounded back.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the first sign of um, osteoporosis would be height loss. So I would check their height and then I would check for kyphosis. So if they have an excessive kyphosis and there really are no standards on that. You have to just look at your plumb line orientation and see if either shoulder and hip are all in alignment and then look at the kyphotic curvature Um, I use a flexicurve, curve which is actually an architect's tool that's used to um, draw curves. And um, it's a moldable um, uh, curve that you can actually place against the spine and look at kyphotic curvature. And we can measure before and after the Pilates session to see how well they've done with lengthening out that curve. And we can often change it a little bit through the session. So those are the, the things that I look at. And if if I do see that, I definitely would suspect that they um, are having fractures. Because, see, someone can have osteopenia and have fractures, and someone can have normal bone density and have fractures. Right. Because sometimes when the compression fractures happen, um, it actually makes the bones look more dense than they actually are, because the bones have collapsed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So someone that has multiple compression fractures and many, many inches of height loss may even look like they're increasing their bone density on their bone-density reports. So it's a bit deceptive to look at those numbers sometimes. So you have to look at the whole person.
1: Right, right. So
0: coming down to the point, um, osteopenia um, may be progressing throughout the year that you work with them
2: because people mm-hmm. only get
0: their bone density studies once a year. So if they um, show osteopenia and you're doing a program with them, they, they may be losing bone as you do it. The other issue with osteopenia is that the bones um, of the in the um, that are done, that are tested in the bone densitometry study are the lumbar spine, so L1 through L4. They don't look at L5 because the sacrum is actually in the way, and they can't really look at the thoracic spine because the sternum and ribs are in the way. So it would skew the results of the report. So they only look at L1, 2, 3, and 4. Now we know that L1, 2, 3, and 4 are larger. They're more oriented towards extension, and they're also more, um, uh, less, I'm sorry, less susceptible to fracture than are the bones of the mid-thoracic spine. So T6, 7, and 8, which you don't even see, the results of those bones um, are more susceptible to fracture than any other bone in the body. So that's why I treat the person with osteopenia the same as someone with osteoporosis.
1: Okay. That's, that's so good I would to know.
0: suggest that for a beginning Pilates teacher or someone who has, um, you know, who doesn't have a lot of experience with this work, as you get, you know, more skilled at reading bone density studies, looking at the whole picture of the person, looking at how they move, looking at how their body skills, um, can they you know, really maintain their spine position in, in many different exercises and have a very good amount of spinal control, you might choose to introduce a few more of the movements of the spine um, with those people.
1: Okay. And those are the people, those would be the the ones with osteopenia versus the ones, ones with osteoporosis? The osteopenia that, that
0: had no height loss, okay. mm-hmm. no, no compression fracture, no changes to their spine or mm-hmm. body shape of the spine especially and uh, who are very good and aware movers. So right. this, this includes a lot of Pilates teachers that I see. Mm-hmm. They're very good movers, very aware of their bodies. They might be able to introduce a few more um, of the flexion movements, and we can certainly talk about which ones you know, those would be.
1: Sure, sure. Well, then also, um, so what are some movements then of the spine that are uh, okay for somebody with osteoporosis?
0: So the I feel like the fountain of youth in the human body is thoracic flexion, I'm sorry, thoracic extension mm-hmm. and hip extension.
1: Okay.
0: Um, if, if people maintain their thoracic extension and their hip extension throughout their lifetime, they will probably have a better chance of having a very healthy body. And also those people will be less risk for fracture. So um, I work on a lot of thoracic extension I do a lot of passive work with thoracic extension to prepare the person for more active extension. So um, those movements are certainly included in the program. And, um, you know, you might be able to do some supine exercises in rotation. Um, Some Pilates teachers call them knee sways, introducing a little bit of rotation in the spine.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Bridging is a great option for people to get some spine movements. Because you don't want to turn these people into bots on legs.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> so you want
0: them to still be able to move. Sure. So you can add rotation with extension. Um, uh, we do a lot of work on the, um, on the mat and on the chair with rotation and extension. So it would be like doing the swan on the floor or on the chair. Mm-hmm. And then have the people look over their shoulders Right. To introduce some rotation into the spine and then we do a lot of bridging exercises with um combined movements like little figure eights and little side glides and things like that to allow movement in the spine uh, to keep the vertebrae and the, the disc spaces and the facet joints nice and healthy
1: wonderful great and then um so this is just some this is just an observation that I'm putting out there you know um and I know that your studio is is different but a lot of a lot of studios out there including my own uh, especially with my with my training, you know, we teach our beginning math classes and, you know, we have everything leveled. And, and so I don't necessarily at this point have a class really designated for, you know, special populations, you know, such as uh-huh. like maybe calling it a therapeutic class or uh, whatever, you know, and I've noticed that, um, you know, part of the problem has been like when I have had a couple students... Who I know can't do forward flexion or the forward flexion with with twisting that you know trying to teach them a different exercise than the rest of the class of course that poses a lot of problems you know and and then of course if that if that client goes to another class and forgets to tell the teacher you know that they um you know that they are uh that they have osteoporosis then that client just does whatever the teacher says. So I'm just kind of making an observation that, it's, that when you do have those clients come in, you really, I mean, it's really responsibility of the studio to offer a class that they really can do safely rather than just trying to modify them within your class structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's
0: something I've worked on a lot because mm-hmm. I, I really want to try to look at the population that's in my class. And, and gear the, the program to their level. And because, um, you know, you try to level the classes, but sometimes the timing doesn't work out. Right. As well, I want to be in this five o'clock class, or this works out really well for me. And so what I've tried to do um, in my teaching is I, I teach at a club called the Courtside Club in Los Gatos, California. And it's a very large club. We cannot limit the number of, cl- of clients in the class. Um, you know, the classes are just on the regular schedule, and they, are, they can pop in and out of the classes any time they want. There's no registration and no clearing of people to go into the classes. So I often have 20 to 30 people in this class.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, with the information that I have as far as knowing that one out of every two uh, postmenopausal women over age 50 has osteoporosis, um, I noticed that a lot of people are over age 50 in my class. I also know that one every out of every four men over age 50 have osteoporosis. So these are huge numbers. Mm-hmm. Huge numbers and we need to be thinking about the population when we teach movement. So what I've chosen to do with this class, um, knowing that I'm going to have 20-year-olds up to even 80-year-olds in the class, um, I take out things like the rollover. I take mm-hmm. out the cord I don't do the bicycles and the scissors and, you know, with the legs in the air and the hips up in the air. So I don't do any aggressive more rolling over. Um, we don't do rolling like a ball or the seal. And, um, you know, and they can do that on their own if they want to. Sure. You, know, you certainly have a private lesson and do your own little mat work on your own and add in those exercises. But in a large group like that, I think you have an obligation to keep those people safe in your class. hmm and um, especially if the class is not labeled advanced, and I require that if anybody goes into an advanced class that they get clearance for that and they are allowed to come into
1: the class right? Uh,
0: by permission only.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so with those uh, classes, like during the roll-downs, um, my clients do bridging instead. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they alert me to who they are, and I try to put them all in the same sort of area. So I say, okay, you guys over here keep your head down, let's do bridging, and everybody else is going to do the roll down. So they do their bridging up and down as we're doing roll ups and roll downs. And then um, if we do the teaser, the people keep their hands behind their back and keep their chest lifted, and they do some little toe touches. Okay. the teasers. So mm-hmm. um, I, don't have, I don't put the saw in, and um, when we do spine rotation, we do it as um, sort of called the pendulum, which is a modification of corkscrew. And then everyone can do it safely. Um, The people with osteoporosis keep their feet down. Everyone else can go up into the air and do it and do the more aggressive, you know, leg straight version of it. So I level it. I start out really basic and Mm -hmm. then increase the intensity of the exercise so that I start out in a safe place for everyone. And then I increase the level of the exercise. So I say, okay, if you want more of a challenge, do this. If you want more of a challenge, do this. Now, granted, this is not an easy task. I mean, no. it's been on for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that math teachers have a huge responsibility, and it's very difficult to teach a, a multi-level math class. Um, I think it's one of the most difficult things to do in Pilates, and unfortunately, it's where a lot of Pilates teachers enter the profession.
1: It's right. Like, and I really think they should not enter as a math teacher I think no. Training, but, no but no, I agree and and i I personally at i um at my studio I have the math classes are no bigger than seven uh-huh you know That's so it great. makes it That's, you know so it makes it so that, that yeah, so it's you know and I think I knew that for me personally um even though I've been teaching exercise for a long time that i I didn't really like teaching a really big group for me, you know, and, and, you know, I thought that the um, multi-levels was, you know, as a nice challenge, but I didn't feel like I had enough control over the class in the sense of whether or not I was really able to keep, you know, everybody safe and our people really being honest with themselves on what they should and should not be doing. And, Uh and so, you know, I thought that, um, so I never did choose to to teach the bigger, you know, the bigger group classes, you know, so at least I have... You know, at least, you know, I have the opportunity to, um, you know, level the classes um, and in beginning math class only teach beginning level, you know, exercises. But of course, in those classes, I'll have um, some people who have taken that class because it works in their schedule for like two years. So they need to be challenged, you know. Uh And so that's, you know, so that's, you know, that's not a problem because it's such a small group that. You know it's easy to to um, have some of the people do um, you know some of the harder you know the more challenging exercise. Give them the choice, like what you were saying. But I agree with you. It's not easy to teach a big group and to be able to multitask and multi level in that group. And I think I think that a a beginning teacher should absolutely not start there at all. I think you know somebody. Who's very qualified, such as yourself. You know, it's challenging for you, but you know you're very qualified to be able to do that very safely. You know, for them. But you know, like you said, it is it is um, kind of the place that everybody does tend to start is in the gym atmosphere or something like that, where they are going to have groups that aren't necessarily regulated. They don't get to see the intake forms. Um, And um, yeah, so that that would be very challenging, but the information you provided there was very, very helpful. And um, so then the other thing is, um, you know, what are some risk factors uh, for osteoporosis? Like for somebody, like I'm 30 years old, so for me, you know, what are some things that I can do besides, of course, doing Pilates and, and other forms of movement? What are some other things that I can do to prevent osteoporosis and then also what are just some of the risk factors that they know of at this point that um, definitely um, puts you on the path towards osteoporosis?
0: Uh, well, some of the, the uh, primary ones are the, your race, mm-hmm. Caucasians, Northern Europeans and Asians are more susceptible. Um, but that sort of extends across a lot of races. Right. Uh, your family history, if your mother or any of your um, relatives has had osteoporosis, uh, you have a strong likelihood of having it. Um, if you've had early menopause, which would be before age 40, uh, Turner syndrome is a chromosomal abnormality that uh, would, would uh, increase your risk for osteoporosis. If you are uh, small and fine bones, Uh, If you tend to be tiny, you know, low body weight and low body fat and uh, sort of fine bones, you'd have more risk. Um, Some of the, there are just a multitude of diseases that the Surgeon General came out with in 2004. At the end of 2004, the Surgeon General put out a 400-page report on osteoporosis, which to my um, disappointment had very little information on contraindicated movements and exercise. So um, I was hoping that they would have a good section on exercise, which they did not. But they had a very good section on new risk factors. So there are probably over 100 different diseases that they listed that are um, predictive of osteoporosis. And some of those um, that you might be familiar with are anorexia and athletic amenorrhea, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um, hemophilia, uh, multiple myeloma, ankylosing spondylitis. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis and some of the medications used to treat those conditions are um, uh, considered to be um, bone loss uh, promoters (laughs) and then endocrine disorders, gastrointestinal diseases if you've had malabsorption syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease or celiac disease so there's loads and loads of them alcoholism is one, depression, congestive heart failure I mean I can go on and on
1: sure, sure
0: And then some of the surprising uh, things that deplete bone are caffeine and protein and fiber. Oh. A fiber-rich diet high in protein. So say you're doing bodybuilding and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Risking bone loss for that. Um, Some new studies have come out on acidifying foods. And if your diet is too acid or acidifying, um, you might be more at risk for osteoporosis. Some really interesting research came out... um, from uh, T. Colin Campbell, who looked—I'm sorry—Mulbauer, who came came up with um, some osteogenic foods that um, actually promoted bone density, and they were mostly common vegetables that promoted good bone density. That's why we found out that vegetarians have better bone density oh,
1: than okay.
0: uh, non-vegetarians. So um, they wanted to f- find out what that common denominator was, and it was diets that are low in pH seem to be um, good for osteogenesis. So um there's lots of information about this disease that we don't understand and that but there's lots of information being collected and uh it's what we call a multifactorial disease cuz it can be stress, it can be the environment. Um there's some studies out that say that stress decreases bone density by um uh promoting osteo um, plastic, uh formation, which are bone um bone cells that break down bone. Um so stressful environments, um, pollutants, and um, family history, medications, uh, nutrition, and exercise. So it's just a huge syndrome that, you know, we, we try to educate people on just cleaning up their lifestyle. Is right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody has um, a lot of risk factors such as, you know, family history, um, you know, fine bone structure, uh, and things like that, can they... Can do you, I mean, you know, do you know can they truly prevent osteoporosis from the onset of osteoporosis by changing the lifestyle?
0: Well, that that we don't know. Mm-hmm. We certainly don't know because we don't know if that person has a genetic factor that is going to um just keep going. Um but we can certainly try to modify lifestyle. Mm-hmm. If you find out they have osteopenia is a good time to make those lifestyle changes and Absolutely. not have to go on medications and things like that. Right. Uh, but um, if somebody has a lot of those risk factors, what I suggest and what um, a lot of physicians suggest is to get a bone density report. Right. If you don't want to treat the risk factors, you want to treat the disease. Mm-hmm. So if
1: someone has
0: normal bone density, then they should be fine, even though they have a few risk factors. Right. Which, personally, I had about five or six of the risk factors. But then when I got my bone density study done, um, I actually had one at age 31, and um, I had very normal, higher than normal bone density.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Do you have, um, so you have a, uh, you have a book um, on your website and a DVD on your website. Is that, are those the two resources that you have on your website or am I missing something there?
2: Yeah,
0: well, I, um, the book actually came about about 10 years ago or more okay. mm-hmm. when I first started doing this work and I was trying to recommend books on exercise and I kept going through all these books and they had all these contraindicated exercises. And I was very disappointed that there was not one book on the market that I could actually recommend um, for exercise. And a lot of them had just doing these little little hand weights. And I right. thought, what is that going to do for the spine and the hip? Yeah. So I was really disappointed. So I put this little handbook together, and I used to just give it to my clients. And one of my clients said, why don't you make a book out of it? So I did, and I just put it together in a published format, and um, that's available. And it's just a basic exercise program written in large print um, at a beginner, intermediate, and advanced level of exercise. And I have lots of references in the back on um, how I put it together based on research and what were the best exercises for bone, bone density.
1: And then you also have a, a DVD on the your DVD website. It came yes. about,
0: um, I did a research project, and I'm, it's ongoing actually, and it's I'm just basically doing case studies of people who qualify for it. And basically somebody that has Um, either osteopenia or osteoporosis is not on any medications and wants to participate in a year-long Pilates program. So what they do is they do Pilates mat work three times a week and they come to the studio once a week to do Pilates apparatus work. Now that's not required. They don't Mm -hmm. have that. Someone could just do the Pilates program three times a week at home and check off the days that they do it that year and then at the end of that year we get a bone density report done and we see if there's been an increase. So I try not to have them change their diet, they don't change their supplements, they don't change much of anything except for the exercises to see if Pilates really does make a difference.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The first person that went through the study um, had four compression fractures and um, she, we really wanted to find something that she could do consistently that I knew she was doing it correctly and the same exercises every time. So I made the DVD for her actually and um, decided to go ahead and make it available to everyone. And uh, she really liked it and benefited from it, and she gained 15% in her bone density in one year. Wonderful. So that was a really good um, good perk for the study and, and for Pilates and, and its effect on bone density. We were really excited about that. So I made it available to everyone. And then I also did a DVD for seniors, and that, my, my definition of a senior has nothing to do with age. It has to do with function. And when I ask people, you know, what DVD do they want, you know, they say, well, I'm 70. But, you know, I say, well, can you get up and down off the floor easily without assistance? And if they say yes, then they, they're not really a senior to me. Um, a senior is somebody that requires assistance getting off the floor and getting down to the floor. So that person gets the DVD called Pilates for Seniors, and it's basically Pilates principles seated in a chair and instructions on how to get to and from the floor, and then getting onto their bed at night doing some bridging and different exercises in bed if they're not really safe getting up and down off the floor. So that's um, the differences between uh, the senior video and the just the Pilates for support Pros video.
1: Okay. And then what is your, what is your website? The website's uh, www dot sarahpilates dot com. Okay, wonderful. And then the other question is: Do you have a recommendation for uh, other good books out there on osteoporosis and and movement, or even the um, you know is there a book out there on the um, osteogenesis, the foods for osteogenesis, by chance? Um,
0: that one actually is a research study by Mulbauer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It actually is on my website. Oh, okay. Um, I, I Wonderful. I put a listing of it. I have a little salad recipe that um, if you go to the osteoporosis news page, okay. you can download the salad recipe and the research study um, or the reference on my website. And then, um, then you can also download an article that I did for the Idea Fitness Journal called Modified Pilates for Osteoporosis. And it's basically a synopsis of the entire program that I have. And that's free to download off of the Osteoporosis News page of my website. Um, But there are are some other books that are really good. Um, I like Dr. Brown's book, Susan Brown. Um, She's done a book on osteoporosis, and um, it's actually quite good on nutritional aspects. The other book that I like is um, by Marian Nelson, and it is Strong Women Stay Young. And that's a quite a nice book on uh, bone loss and nutritional aspects of it, and it has a few exercise recommendations, but not not that many. I don't sure, think quite um, comprehensive enough.
1: Okay, so basically, if we go to your website, we're going to find a great deal of information there, as long and, and as well as these um, these other two recommendations. So, um, thank you so much for. Uh, talking with me today. This is a, a wealth of information, and I'm sure we can continue um, talking uh, and maybe perhaps um, at another point, maybe we'll do another interview at some point. So, But, um, but thank you so much for taking the time uh, with us today. And if somebody would like to get in contact with you to ask you any further questions, how should they do that? Oh, that
0: would be great. Um, you can contact me anytime at Sherry S-H-E-R-R-I at com
1: okay wonderful okay well thank you very much Thank you Heidi uh-huh That's great. I want to thank Sherry very much for doing this interview with me today also I'd like to thank the listener uh, for who emailed me to request this interview quite a long time ago and I finally was able to um, get this organized and um, so anyway so I do listen uh, when you send an in interview request so keep those coming. Also, I just want to say something quickly about the the forum. We were having some issues with receiving so much spam that my husband and I are the only moderators, and we were having a difficult time keeping up with it. So in the meantime, right now we have locked the forum, but you can still look at the forum and view what has been written so far. You just won't be able to write in on the forum. Um, You can direct questions towards me uh, in the meantime, to Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at the com, and uh, we're trying to figure out a solution, and once we do, we will be uh, opening that back up again. So thanks again for all your support, and uh, we'll be talking with you next time. I'm your host, Heidi Miller.